Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That's Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age." In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. David, thank you very much for reading for us, and good evening to all of you. It's good to see you here tonight. Do keep your Bibles open at Genesis 15, page 15 of the church Bibles, and you also find it helpful, I think, to dig out a handout, which will give you a good indication of where we're going in the next few minutes. Let me pray. 
Father, we confess tonight that we need your help. Father, please, we pray for the work of your spirit amongst us as we look at your word together. Please bring conviction where we need it, comfort where it's needed. Please help me to be faithful as I speak and help each one of us to listen urgently, we pray. And Father, in your kindness, please, would you be so at work in us that our lives will be transformed by tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Doubt is something that many Christians will struggle with um, for lots of different reasons and and different seasons of life. Uh, For some Christians, doubt can come to us for intellectual reasons. We can wonder if there is a God at all. Uh, For other Christians, we can doubt because of uh, our hearts. And we look around the world and we see our, our friends, our classmates, our colleagues living a completely different life from us. They are prizing a different treasure. They are finding fun and fulfillment in different things. And in the face of the world around us, our hearts can be tugged away from following the Lord confused with what the world offers, wondering if the world has got it right instead of following the Lord. Uh, We can doubt because of the culture around us, just the sheer pressure of numbers, looking at the size of the church today and the size of those who aren't Christians. We can doubt, wondering if we've got it wrong somehow. As we turn to Genesis 15, we see a man grappling with doubt. But for Abraham, his doubt is not about the existence of God, He clearly believes in the Lord, nor is his doubt because of a heart being tugged away by other things. We saw last week in Genesis 13 and 14 how brilliantly Abraham was able to turn away from the offer of wealth from other nations and to put his trust in the Lord. Abraham is not a man who's um, under pressure from other cultures. He is, but he's not giving into it, living in a pagan land. No, for Abraham, his doubt is based on his circumstances. And straight away we can see the problem. Look at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. It's a brilliant promise from the Lord, uh, all the more so given the context of what happened in Genesis 14 we saw last week when Abraham uh, refused a lucrative trade deal with a dodgy king in order to follow the Lord. And now the Lord says, Abraham, I'll be your reward, your shield. It's, it's great news. But Abraham comes back to the Lord straight away. Verse two. O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. In Abraham's day, your offspring, your children, well, they were seen as some kind of reward. They were seen as safety for you, particularly in your old age. They would look after you. And at one level, Abraham is saying to the Lord, the promise sounds wonderful in verse one, thanks for the promise, but it feels hollow because, well, I've got no children. But it's more than that. Because the Lord had made Abraham a specific promise 
that he would give Abraham a child who would be uh, the key in creating a great number of descendants that would fill the earth. And yet there was no son. And so you can imagine the promise to Abraham sounds a bit like one of those email scams or one of the letters you get in the post which tell you with great confidence you've won a million pounds. You've just got to respond and register and the prize is yours. And you do so and no prize arrives. And so for Abraham, here is doubt based on his circumstances and that kind of doubt can be devastating. Think of our own lives here tonight. Our circumstances may be different from Abraham's, and yet our circumstances can devastate our confidence in the Lord just the same. Think of the promises that God makes to Christians here tonight. Um, for example, he, he promises in, in the Bible that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And yet how many of us through suffering have doubted that promise? Maybe it is childlessness. Maybe it is cancer. Maybe it is the loss of a loved one. Whatever the circumstances is, whatever the the tears, wherever they come from, they can make us doubt the promises of God. For others, maybe recall the promise of Jesus who said that he will build his church that nothing can stop it. And yet, we look around at the state of the church in this country and it feels so small and weak and perhaps we invited friends to the carol service or um, students thinking of the events we're coming up not long from now and um, preparing ourselves to ask more people to come to things and yet so few do seem to come or when they do come, they seem so uninterested. And the promise of the Lord to be at work in this world, to grow his people into a great multitude, well, at times, it can feel very hollow. And so tonight, we are thinking about doubt that comes to God's people based on our circumstances. As we look at Abraham tonight, our big question is this. Why trust the Lord when his promises don't seem to match our circumstances? As Abraham grapples with the Lord, I think we find some wonderful answers to that question. First, you'll see in the handout, be confident in the the Lord's power. Well, Abraham's been very honest with the Lord. He's kind of laid his heart on the table before him. Lord, I have no son. How can I trust you? But notice the Lord, in his response, he doesn't scold Abraham or tell him off or become impatient. No, verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. The Lord reaffirms his promise to Abraham. Nothing's changed. The plan is still the same. You will have a son. It will happen. Don't doubt. And then verse five. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Last spring, Lorna and I hired a a camper van 
and uh, we drove up to the west coast of Scotland, up to the Highlands. Uh, we had a wonderful time. We at one point went across to the Isle of Skye, and uh, we camped for a few nights um, in a campsite in the middle of nowhere. There was no buildings around, no light pollution, and um, we had planned to stay up and watch the stars, but we were too old and fell asleep um, before the, the sun set properly. Um, but I remember one night, around three o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and uh, I pulled back the curtain of the camper van, and there above us was just this most awesome and glorious display. You can picture it, can't you? Millions and millions of stars, the Milky Way, and it's just awesome, isn't it? If you have a chance to look at the night sky away from a city, an awesome perspective. I imagine Abraham, as he was taken outside looking up, had that similar sense of awe and wonder, looking at how many millions of stars there are. And at one level, the point's very clear, isn't it? The Lord is saying to Abraham, think of a big number, a very, very big number. In fact, use the stars to help you think of a big number, and your descendants will number that number. And so at one level, the Lord is saying to Abraham, yes, I see your circumstances. You're childless and it's hard, but, but my, my promises are still intact. The plan is still on. But there's more than that going on. Because as Abraham looks at the stars, he's bound to wonder, where did the stars come from? If you had your Bibles in Genesis, you flick back 14 chapters, you'd be told where the stars come from. You see, there was a point in time when there was nothing. And then simply by the power of the word of the Lord, the Lord spoke and out of nothing came something. And through his word, the stars were put in their place in the galaxies, millions and millions of these stars. And you can see the point, can't you? If the Lord, through his word, can create stars out of nothing then surely the the same powerful word can take two cells and knit them together in a barren womb and create life where there was no life. In other words, Abraham, don't doubt the power of the Lord. Look at what he's done in the past and be confident he can work powerfully again in the future. So here is the Lord's answer to a doubting Abraham. Yes, the circumstances look utterly bleak, but be confident in the Lord's power. You can imagine Abraham hearing this and and seeing this and still having huge questions about timings and why the delay and what was going on with God's plan. And yet, look at verse six. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was convinced that the Lord had the power to keep this promise about children. And because he believed, we're told, that it was credited to him or it was counted to him as righteousness. That is, he is now a person considered to be without blame or fault. He is spotless before the Lord which is a remarkable thing to say if you know Abraham. If you look through his life, he's far from blameless. We've seen some already. We'll see more of it in the weeks to come. He is not a perfect man by any means in his life. In so many ways, he, he turns away from the Lord. He doubts and struggles. And yet we're told the Lord considers him blameless. 
And it's simply because he responds correctly to the Lord's promise. He believes the Lord has power to keep his word. And this pattern, this response of belief in God's promise, it's always the right way for God's people to respond to the Lord. You'll see a reference there on our handouts to Romans 4 in the New Testament, uh, written over a thousand years after Genesis. And there Paul, who wrote Romans, quotes this very verse, Genesis 15 verse 6. And he says, here is a lasting pattern for all of God's people for all of time. This is the right way to respond to the Lord. Whatever promise he makes, the right response is to believe he has power to keep his word. And when a person responds with that kind of faith, the Lord considers him righteous without blame. And what a thought that is for each one of us here tonight. I need to say that Abraham's faith was not always strong. If I were to draw a graph of Abraham's sort of faith strength over time, it'd be like one of those stock market graphs that goes up and down with quite sort of shocking swings back and forth. And if you want to find out what I mean, come back next week to see what happens on one of the downward curves. Abraham is not commended for having a strong faith, but rather because he has faith in a strong God. Be confident in God's power. And there is here, I think, huge help for us tonight when our circumstances make us doubt God's promises. When we suffer and God feels distant, we can be confident that his power is still at work, that he is not somehow um, beaten by circumstances. Or when we look around at the the size of the people of God, the church today, and we wonder if they really are sort of numbering like the grains of the sand of the stars in the sky, and wonder, will God keep his promises to the the descendants of Abraham, the church today? Well, be confident of his power. He will keep his promises. Of course, we're bound to wonder, aren't we, if, if God is this powerful, and, and he is, then why does God put his people through such hard times? Wouldn't it be better, we might think, for the Lord and his awesome power just to swoop in, to give Abraham the child straight away, to cut out the 25 years of agony, or in our lives today, to swoop in and take away the pain and suffering, to, to grow his church wonderfully tonight, And that takes us on to our second point. Be confident in the Lord's timing. In verse 7, the Lord confirms another promise to Abraham. He will give Abraham the promised land. But this then sparks off an even um, further doubt um, for Abraham. Look at verse 8. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of this promised land it's a very good question the, the land that Abraham's talking about is a, a wonderful land but it's, it's full of people it's full of other nations and these nations have absolutely no intention of leaving a land flowing with milk and honey why should they? they're here to stay and so again circumstances are making Abraham doubt God's promise about land he just can't see it ever happening this promised land 
In response, the Lord tells Abraham to go get some animals and to chop them in half. It's a gruesome scene, and we'll come back to this in just a moment. But first, the sun begins to set, and Abraham becomes drowsy, and he falls asleep. And then, I guess through a dream, the Lord speaks to him. Verse 13. And remember, Abraham is grappling with the problem of whether or not he'll ever get this promised land. And here comes the answer, verse 13. The Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated 400 years. <laughs> it's not exactly the response you want to hear from Abraham, is it? He's worried about the land. Will we ever get it? And here the Lord says, well, it's going to be a long time. It's going to be 400 years before your descendants come back and take this land as theirs. No wonder Abraham is in a sort of dark and desperate sleep. This is terrible news for Abraham. It's not at all, I think, what he'd want to hear. But the dream continues, verse 14. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Verse 16. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. This is an answer to Abraham's doubt, and it's an answer about timings. Abraham's family will take possession of the promised land, but it will take 400 years. And there's a very profound truth at work in this passage. It's as if the veil is being pulled back just slightly and we're being given a glimpse into the control room of heaven and we're able to look over the shoulder of the Lord as he maneuvers the events across the course of history and we're seeing just something of the complexity and the nuance and the wisdom with which the Lord is working across all peoples in all history for all time. You can imagine Abraham, he's locked in on the particular question of his own family and the land, but the Lord has other factors to bear in mind when it comes to timings. And there is a most remarkable answer to why he would put his people into slavery for 400 years. And it's all to do with the Amorites. Over the last year or so, there's been some controversy regarding the, um, the new high-speed rail line, the HS2 um, controversy over whether it's worth it and how much it costs and so on. But um, one of the controversies is about people who happen to live on the new route. You know, if you have a lovely family farm in the rolling countryside and you're told that actually the, the railway line is going to cut right through your farm and you've got to leave... Well, what about those people? What about their rights? It's, it's sort of, it seems harsh for the big government to come and push the small farmer out of the way, off their land. And you might wonder if the same is true of the Amorites. They live in this country, it's theirs, it's their home. And here the Lord is going to muscle them out and put his own people in. And it just doesn't seem fair. And that is why the Lord will wait 400 years because he's going to wait until the point where the sin of the Amorites, verse 16, is sufficiently enormous that when he does drive them out in judgment, it'll be a fair judgment. 
any less, and it wouldn't be fair. But 400 years, that's the right amount. And so there is real fairness here in the Lord's timing. Abraham is not the only factor in the Lord's plans for the world. And we are given just a glimpse, I think, into the Lord's timing, how he controls sovereignly across all of history, that he is at work in all the details to maintain justice and to keep his promises. And I know this doesn't deal with every question when it comes to timings, but don't miss the big point. There is a purpose behind God's timings. It's not random. It's not God messing around with his people. You can imagine Abraham thinking, I wish there was another way. I wish that we could just go straight into the land tomorrow. But recognizing the Lord had other timings for good reasons. Be confident in God's timing. What about us here tonight? The promise of land for God's people is an eternal promise. Our hope as Christians is not for some patch of earth in modern day Palestine, but rather our promise, our hope is to have some land, a place to live in the new creation. A land even better than a land with milk and honey. It's a land with no tears and no pain and no suffering. A land where the world is put right completely. And oh, how we long to be in that land And I guess some of us here tonight have real struggles with God's timing when it comes to getting his people into his land. I guess for some here, God's timing just seems too soon. Think of a loved one who's died suddenly, perhaps. Maybe a child, a spouse, a parent, a good friend. And it just happened too soon. To you suddenly, we weren't ready for it. The Lord has taken them to be with himself. And we're left wondering, why? For others, his timing seems too late. We groan under the toil of this world. We long to be liberated from this body of decay, liberated from our sin, from our sicknesses. Um, and yet the thought of a new creation just seems so far away. We wonder how we'll ever get there. I wouldn't, uh, for one second, claim to be able to answer God's um, purposes and timings. I wouldn't, we often don't know why he delays or why he speeds up from our perspective. But when our circumstances make us scream out in fear and doubt, know there is a purpose to God's timing. And even if it means suffering and sadness now, I take it that one day he will pull the veil back on our particular circumstances and show us why it had to be that way. Be confident in the Lord's timing. Finally, be confident in the Lord's commitment. I know someone who loves to start new hobbies. I think, um, looking back, that at one point they took up photography, and then then there was fishing, and then um, ice hockey, and then triathlons, and, and, and the list goes on and on. And um, there's nothing wrong with um, starting new hobbies. Uh, lots of us do it. But I think at times, especially when our circumstances are difficult, we can worry that God has got bored of us and has moved on to the next thing. But Genesis 15 shows us God's utter commitment to his people and his promises. It's time to come back to these animals that we mentioned already. 
that have been chopped in two and are arranged in a line opposite one another. In the darkness, verse 17, there appears a smoking brazier, a blazing torch, smoke and fire. In the Bible, often two ways in which the Lord manifests his presence among his people. And here, this um, manifestation of his presence does something remarkable. Verse 17, it passes between the pieces of animal. It seems bizarre and grotesque. It doesn't make sense to our modern ears, but I think one help to understanding what's happening here is, is in Jeremiah 34, later on in the Bible, where we discover that uh, one of the ways in which two groups would agree and confirm a contract between one another what was to do this, to take an animal, cut it in two, um, to put it here and here, and then to, to walk together through the pieces. And it was as if they were saying, if we break this contract, so it may it be to us as it has been to these animals, chopped in half. It's a very sober contract to embark on. When I was a student, I rented various houses throughout my four years, and uh, of course, to rent a house, you have to agree a contract with a landlord. The normal approach is to turn up with a pen, but um, imagine turning up to sign a contract, and uh, there on the table, the landlord's brought um, a couple of foxes, uh, a badger, a squirrel maybe, and uh, as you get your pen out, the landlord gets the chainsaw out and fires it up and starts slicing imagine you'd be eyeing at the door at this point, wouldn't you? But here in Genesis 15, the, the gruesomeness of this contract signing helps us to see how serious this agreement is. It's a matter of life and death. And here the Lord is making a, a covenant with Abraham. It's a special relationship, an agreement, which is very serious indeed. In fact, it is so serious that the Lord himself is willing to walk between the pieces. And it's as if he is saying, upon my life will I ensure that this contract is kept, that my covenant stands, that my promises endure. And notice it is only the Lord who walks through. Abraham is just slumbering off to one side. This is a one-sided contract, a one-sided commitment Upon the life of the Lord will this come to pass. And so I think we should be confident in the Lord's commitment to his promises and people. If we know our Bibles well, then as we flick forward through the centuries to the New Testament, we find that this is exactly what happens, that it did indeed cost God everything to keep the covenant. Many centuries later, God came into the world He took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and he came to deliver on his promise. And as Jesus died on the cross, his body broken for us, so he did what it took to keep the covenant. For we have all broken the covenant. We are all unrighteous. But the Lord found a way to keep his eternal promises through the death of Jesus on the cross. We're gonna come in just a moment to share bread and wine together and to remember and feed in our hearts spiritually by faith on Christ. And as we do so tonight, let's remember the extraordinary commitment of the Lord to keep his promises. He'll do anything 
even sending his son to die in the person of Jesus Christ. Doubt is something that uh, we will, I guess, at times all struggle with, especially when our circumstances don't seem to match God's promises. As we grapple with doubt, let's be confident in God's power, in his timing, his commitment to us. Each one of those truths in and of themselves are wonderful to cling on to, but when you bring those three together, that there is a powerful Lord who has enough wisdom time things perfectly, and he was utterly committed to his people throughout all of time, then there is a rock for us to stand on through any circumstances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for your kindness to Abraham in Genesis 15, how you you were patient with him, how you understood his doubt, and how you um, helped him to see why he can trust in you. And Father, I thank you that you understand our own doubts here tonight, that you've given us many wonderful reasons to help us believe that your promises always come to pass. And so Father, whatever our circumstances here tonight, Would you help us to be a people of faith, trusting in your power and in your timing and in your commitment? In Jesus' name, amen.